Thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge, where we discuss ways in which we can see Jesus famous in our lives. Today, we'll be discussing the book of Nehemiah and taking a look at how God renews his people. We don't have to keep this, but at the men's conference recently, you got challenged to a pull-up contest, right? which you... Uh, let me just say successfully beat Pastor Manny, but are you open to people challenging you to push-ups, sit-ups, calisthenics at the church after service? Is that a one-time thing? Well, yes, but there's a qualification. Okay. Yeah, see, uh, Manny holds a black belt. So I think my feeling is if you are... hold a black belt and you've got me by a solid 40 pounds, then yeah, you can challenge me to stuff like that. But if you don't no, I'm really not into that. (laughs) There's a respect thing there for sure. Yeah. Oh man. I love it. That was the funnest conference. I just loved seeing all that. It was the best. Yeah. That was a, that was a fun moment. I could feel it (laughs) happening. You know, like for those of you who weren't there, we got started and, you know, Pastor Manny and Pastor Matt were up on the stage and they're kind of going back and forth talking mm-hmm. about the conference and the theme of resilience and stuff. And if you haven't listened to those teachings, you should go grab them online, especially if you're a man. But uh, they did the cheesy uh, <laughs> men's conference segue into like, totally. so resilience. And then they get some guys to bring out a pull up bar and I just I, I think I could feel it at that point like yeah. okay I think I know where this is going and then Manny's like I want to challenge somebody <laughs> today and then I really felt it like okay this is <laughs> this is gonna go down he's got your name and what I didn't know was that you know because I went first even though I wanted to go second it's right. always easier to go second oh, you yeah. know the number that you need yeah but also if I'd have gone second I would have had a chance to watch his weak half pull-ups where like the tippy tip of his nose was hitting the pull-up bar and they're counting it i'm going full chin over the bar just struggling but um still took him but you know that's not saying much like i said he's he's a he's a heavier guy true so it's a lot of a lot of muscle maybe a lot of meat there that he was having to pull up yeah (laughs) but it, it was great man hey it's so good to have you back in the studio, back in the pulpit, back at home for a while. I know you've been traveling a lot, but yeah. it's been great having you back. And it was so great getting back into the book of Nehemiah this week. Nehemiah chapter 10, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Nehemiah chapter 9, where the Israelites had rebelled against God, came into contact with God's truth, repented, mm-hmm. had this whole movement towards obedience back to God. The leaders prayed for the people. And now Nehemiah 10 is like the oath, the written covenant back to God. And so an amazing chapter. I felt like really applicable to the church today. There's just so much to talk about. I mean, you could have preached messages on just one theme for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it it was fun, though, to go just kind of at a quick pace through it. But before I ask you about each point in the message, I want to ask you about the title of the message because... When I read the chapter, I think about like, okay, God renews his people through a written covenant or God renews his people when they turn back to him. Mm-hmm. But your title was 
God renews his people as he creates a path towards flourishing. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious if you could uh, let us in a little bit into why that stood out to you and why you chose that mm-hmm. as the sermon title. I know you yeah. talked about it a little bit yesterday, but if you could kind of let us in a little no, bit. No, for sure. Yeah, whenever I'm teaching a book of the Bible, one thing I do at the outset of it is I step back and I create a rough outline of mm-hmm. what each sermon title might be. They always change once I really pour into the text the week before teaching it. Right. Uh, but it just kind of gives me a general idea of where it's going. And my original kind of working title was God renews his people by uh, creating boundaries, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it was like the people of Israel, they committed That's to true. these boundaries, you yeah. know, or something. But, you know, as I was thinking about it in the broader context of the book of Nehemiah, I was um, able to connect to what they had just been doing. And what they had just been doing, as I mentioned in the teaching, was they'd been reading the Bible. They'd been studying Mm -hmm. the scripture. They'd been interacting with their ancestors' story. And through that, what they saw were these times that their ancestors flourished and these times their Mm -hmm. ancestors didn't flourish. And when they were flourishing, they were keeping all three of these commitments that the Israelites said in Nehemiah's day that they were going to keep. And I just like thinking about it like that because um, it's not a... uh, Sometimes we think about things like... Because we had these three commitments. You know, they made a... um, relational commitment like we're gonna we're gonna do sex god's way Mm -hmm. Uh, they made a chronological commitment i said you know so we're we're gonna keep the sabbath and the sabbath Mm -hmm. system and then they made a financial commitment Mm -hmm. we're gonna pay for the stuff that happens in the temple we're gonna tithe you know all that kind of stuff and it's easy i think in the legalistic mindset to think that okay What's happening there is God will bless them if Mm -hmm. they do A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it with in the as a path to flourishing, it helps me just realize actually this is just a design issue. Uh, So God has designed us in a certain way. He wants us to flourish, and when we neglect those three things, Mm -hmm. we say, "I'm going to do sex." the way my impulses or culture dictate. I'm going to do time the way I want to. I'm Mm -hmm. the Lord of my life, not God. I'm not going to rest. There's no boundaries. Or I'm going to do with my finances whatever I want to. I'm not going to invest in the kingdom. My treasure is not going to go there in any real meaningful way, shape, or form. When we do that, it's not that God is saying, okay, now I won't bless you. I was going to reward you, but now I'm not going to. It's that we could have flourished as a human being, but we didn't choose the path of flourishing that God has clearly um, laid out for Mm -hmm. us to take. So I just enjoyed thinking about it that Mm -hmm. way, that there are these paths to flourishing. These were three big general ones. But I found that if people can do these three big general ones, then some of the smaller Mm -hmm. minutiae, they're prone to want to do as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, my parents used to say it, you know, you want to get under the spout where the glory comes out, you know? So like Mm -hmm. God is, he has, uh, uh, he is pouring out his blessing, 
but there's a certain place to go to Mm -hmm. experience that. And that was what these commitments or these covenants that they were making before God were about is the path to flourishing that God Mm -hmm. had designed and they're just submitting to it. So when I just thought about it from the context of they read about it, they saw times Israel flourished, didn't flourish, times they were like a vineyard that was flourishing, times they were like a vineyard that was atrophied. Uh, They just put it two and two together and said, well, what were they doing during the time that that they were in disrepair, oh, yeah. they were they were marrying whoever they wanted to. They were having sex with all kinds of people, and that was leading to religious, you know, compromise. They were not keeping the Sabbath or the Sabbath system, and they were not investing in the temple or wow. its worship, and it it cost them. So we don't want to do that. We want to flourish. Yeah. So that, that that was how that Man. came up in my mind, and I I think these things are all really important for us today as I talked about in the teaching. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Man, the way you just phrase it is a design issue. That really strikes me because I feel mm-hmm. like we all try to design our lives in one way or shape or another, but to fall in line with God's design, that's where the good really is and where his grace really is, like you were just saying. I want to talk about a few of these things, Nate, because, um, like you said, they're huge, but um, really applicable today. You talked about the relational commitment and for the Israelites, you know, at that time, they said, we're not going to marry or intermarry with um, the people outside of our tribe, mm-hmm. outside of our people, so to speak. When we read that today, it sounds like it might be like a little, like, I don't know, racist or like, sure. um, like we're better than them. It's just the other that we don't want to be with. But you had a really good um, perspective on this by looking back at some Old Testament scripture, and I don't want to make you reiterate what you were talking about, but can you tell us like what was going on? Why was that important for them to not intermarry mm-hmm. with people at that time? Yeah, certainly there have been people who have wrongfully looked back on texts mm-hmm. like these and said, okay, there's a racial component to this, mm-hmm. so there, we shouldn't have mixed marriages or something like that. But that's not the Old Testament ideal even, let alone the New Testament ideal would definitely not affirm that kind of idea. This was a uh, religious commitment that they were making, not a racial commitment. And uh, as I mentioned in the teaching, they had a lot of stories in the Old Testament that would have helped them understand that the person that was far outside the covenant community could come into the covenant community. So the foreigner could become one of them through belief in God and submission to the temple system and they were, they had a record of uh, people who had done that. And then certainly for us as Christians, mm-hmm. you know, God is the same yet right. today, yesterday and mm-hmm. forever. So we can look into the new Testament and we can see Jesus, you know, coming onto the scene and definitely the epicenter of his ministry was in Israel amongst the Israelite people. But mm-hmm. even the geography that he chose for his Uh, ministry for most of what he did, the region of the Galilee, they called it the Galilee of the Gentiles for a reason. It was right there on the outskirts, the cusp of Gentile territory. And he would even take ventures into Gentile lands to preach in those areas as well. I mean, for instance, when he went and cast out the legion from uh, the demoniac on the other side, um, that was his way of reaching a Gentile person, but not just a Gentile person, a Gentile society and culture, because there was Mm -hmm. a Decapolis there, a group of 10 cities. And Jesus made that man after he delivered him, go back to those 10 cities and tell everybody 
what Jesus had done for him, which was a preparatory work because then when the church started a few years later and they began going to all these regions, when they went to the Decapolis, they would have discovered people who'd already heard about Jesus, who were prone to believe in Jesus because of that man's testimony. I mean, everybody knows about a guy that's got like a thousand demons in him being delivered. So he had like a real effective preparatory work in those areas but that's jesus you know ministering Mm -hmm. to the woman uh, from tyre a gentile woman she's bantering with jesus he's like hey i can't take care of you you're a gentile but she's like but even the dogs eat from the eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table she had this feeling like isn't there an overflow from what god has given to israel Mm -hmm. can't we have a little piece of the jewish messiah and jesus is Mm -hmm. like all right you've you get it and he blesses her and ministers to her and then of course when you go into the book of acts you see, you know, about 10 years of the church being primarily Jewish, but then this explosion, you know, where they go into the Gentile world and pretty quickly the church becomes predominantly Gentile, not predominantly mm-hmm. Jewish. And uh, so, you know, certainly looking at all the scripture together, you have to come to the conclusion this was not a racial yeah. thing that was happening, but it was a religious thing. And there was, there they had so much history with with that, yeah. you know, of, mm-hmm. okay, we basically just wanted to have sex with other people mm-hmm. and they were forbidden because they were worshipers of other gods and we partook of their other gods. And, and mm-hmm. usually this wasn't just like a strict, like I got into this relationship and then lo and behold, I discovered she worships Baal. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't usually that a lot of the ceremonial religious festivals that these other gods had attached to them were sexual in nature. So the actual act of worship was often a sexual act. And that's why like a lot of times the prophets talked about like you go up to the hills and you go up to the trees. There's even like Psalms that talk about, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? A lot of times we just think that's like, that's a pilgrim just wandering through life and he's looking at the vista and he's like, God, where are you? But the hills is where all the idols were. And he's saying, I'm looking up to the hills. That's not where my help comes from. But a lot of times up in those hills where the idols were, that's where people were getting it on in the name of whatever God was up there. So it was the sex act that was leading them into this pagan worship. So they had so many records of this and so much of their history had been marred with stories like that, that when they made that commitment in Nehemiah's day to say like, we're not going to go there. Yeah. um, It was definitely uh, would have been fresh in their mind. Like we can't do what previous generations did and compromise our walk with God mm-hmm. by interacting with and intermarrying with yeah. these other nations that aren't God worshipers. Like we just can't do that. So Dang. yeah, definitely not a racial thing. That's incredible because when I was reading the chapter, there's one sentence that just says, we will not marry these people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a really <laughs> simple way of saying it. But when you know the history of it and the context, I'm sure they knew, like, that's all we really need to say. Yeah. It's a loaded sentence. Enough said. Enough yeah. said. Yeah, we just won't. We won't do yeah. it. That's really cool. Um, let's talk about time real quick and rest and worship. You talked about their chronological commitment about how they would give time to worship God with the Sabbath day. Sabbath 
for us today, you know, I feel like people are starting to talk about it a bit more, but it is like a foreign concept for Westerners mm-hmm. like us. Can you just briefly tell us what is Sabbath? And then if you could just help us understand why, why they say we'll keep Sabbath and we won't buy or sell on Sabbath. Like why, what's the connection there mm-hmm. between Sabbath and buying and selling? Mm-hmm. Well, God had told them not to work on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So buying and selling is the idea of you're working on the, okay. on that Sabbath day. So you're to refrain from all work mm-hmm. on the Sabbath. And of course, as we know, by the time Jesus came around, the Pharisees who really got off to a good start when they began, they wanted to protect the Bible. They had mm-hmm. a high uh, view of scripture, but what they did is they wanted to set uh, boundaries beyond what the Bible said so that they would never disobey the word. So they figured if we set boundaries Mm -hmm. that are further out from scripture or like stricter than the scripture, then we'll be safe and we won't accidentally disobey scripture. But their guidelines became the law themselves. So they had just terrible rules about the Sabbath, you know, like you can't carry, uh, you know, a, a, cut up orange in your pocket or something. I think the rule for them was not a whole orange too heavy, but if you cut half an orange, you could put that in your pocket. Like who wants to do that in the days without Ziploc? But just they, they had rules like that. Like you yeah. can't spit on the ground because it might roll in the dirt and then it'll create a little line behind it. And that's like plowing a field and wow. you can't work on the Sabbath, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So everybody became really paranoid Creative. about the Sabbath, yeah. you know, and it just was not a real blessing. It's yeah. like, oh man, don't do anything because the Pharisees might get us. But originally it was just God's way of saying, hey, you guys were in slavery for a long time in Egypt. Pharaoh made you work every day. He was cracking that whip, uh, raising the quota all the time. And so work was just your existence. You guys basically slept and worked. Mm -hmm. And so I want you guys to know, I I want, I made you so that you could, you know, cultivate, you know, what I, the raw material that I've given, but I also made you to enjoy the raw material that I've given and to soak it up to, you know, be human. So the Sabbath was kind of a way for God to like snap these people who'd been slaves for centuries into being human again. And so I think Mm -hmm. Sabbath, you know, it's a way for us to kind of disconnect or detach from just our, our effort, Mm -hmm. our busyness to stop, to slow ourselves and to get refocused again on our relationship with God. I kept using the words worship and rest in my teaching Mm -hmm. because it has a component of both. It's not just pure like, oh, you read Revelation 4 and 5 and what were they doing? They were singing all the time and praying Mm -hmm. all the time. And so that's what Sabbath is. It's not just that. It's also just stopping, ceasing, Mm -hmm. resting, uh, partaking. And probably that idea of being reminded of what it means to be human again is part of the Sabbath. You're connecting again with, okay, this is who God is Hmm. and this is who I am. You get some perspective, Uh, but really rest is the the main idea. Wow. Yeah. Just taking a break. I liked how you said in the message too, that uh, Sabbath wasn't just for people who have been working so much as a reminder to stop, but Hmm. it was a reminder for people who may be like tend to slack off. Like, Hey, you got to work six days and then this day's for rest. I love that there's a, that balance there. It's for everybody. It's not yeah. just for the person who likes to chill out and stop. 
it's for the people who like to work too. It's a discipline in both respects. Totally. I think we're seeing that a lot in our modern time, you know, where you you mentioned, you know, the word Sabbath is like coming back in vogue in some Mm -hmm. circles of Christianity. It never left in some camps and it's not returning in some, but in some circles, it's like becoming the thing again, you know, Mm -hmm. Sabbath. And usually it's like being picked up again by people who are pretty like stressed out and and overwhelmed and, you know, probably for the most part, really hardworking and everything. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're picking up on is, yeah, but there also seems to be a tendency, uh, within some where, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush or like put a whole, throw a whole generation under the bus or something like that and say, all you young people are just, you know, this way. That's just not true. There's lazy people in my generation (laughs) and the baby boomer generation and younger generations. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the reality is that there are some people who like, they're so prone to laziness hmm. that the idea of Sabbath that like really they get attached to it. Like yeah. that's what my everyday experience so true, should yeah. be like. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, like even the concept of a two day weekend, isn't really the biblical concept. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's great in our American Western context, because mm-hmm. if you can, um, successfully for the most part, slot your, work work that you're getting a paycheck Mm. from into five days in a week. And that's obviously hard for a lot of people to do, especially if you're salaried or something like that. But if you can fit it in general into five days, generally with just the modern life and modern household and everything, you're going to need a sixth day to work on your home. You know, whether it's, you know, jobs you have around the house, errands you need to run, you know, going grocery shopping, all that kind of stuff. And then trying to preserve a seventh day Mm. for that time to just not do anything and really relax, enjoy the creation, enjoy God, enjoy your key relationships, Mm. read a book, you know, turn things off. And I find that I think for a lot of people um, who are really, really like attracted to the idea of Sabbath right now, maybe like overly like too much. I think a lot of times it really doesn't have to do with their work. That's not the thing that's stressing them out. It's they're always on lifestyle. So they've always got mm-hmm. their phone on. They're always like engaged. Like they're always getting uh, messages bombarding their day yes. and their mind all the time. So they're not getting the like breaks that naturally you're meant to have, yeah. you know, just like silence quiet, you know? And so I think those are other good, um, practices that people are tapping back into right now. You know, I mean, I've heard it called everything from silence and solitude to devotional life and journaling, but you know, whatever you call it, it's just like, yeah, turn off all the noise and spend Mm. some time listening to the Lord. But I think when you are in that mode, it does create a stress, you know, I mean, they've been doing studies on like the generations that are coming up right now, Mm. trying to figure out why are they the most anxious generation that they've ever seen since they began studying this kind of thing. And the, the only common denominator they can find is the, is the smartphone and just, it's always on presence in their lives. And for whatever reason, um, it can create just that anxiety mm-hmm. and yeah, we need a break from that. <laughs> so true. I feel like I, I remember talking to you about that. I think a, maybe a couple of years ago about, um, Sabbath and we had talked about how 
if you don't have a daily rhythm of shutting down, you're just talking about where you are getting away from the noise, you are listening to God very consciously, and you're getting to God's word and praying and journaling, whatever that looks like for you. If you don't really have that rhythm in like kind of a micro state every day, it really is hard to do like a full day of just turning off sometimes. Also, if you don't plan your week for Sabbath, it's very hard to Sabbath. If you plan for it, then it's much more doable. And a lot of times you can look forward to it and work out of it. Like it can be one of those things that you end the week with, but you're also kind of starting the week with and it can be a real blessing. But man, if you don't plan for it, if you don't practice these like kind of moments where you get comfortable in God's presence, mm-hmm. worshiping and stopping, they can be really, really difficult. I found for me personally, yeah, the, the smaller habits lead to the bigger and yeah. better and more restorative habits for sure. I'm on a team right now. That's, uh, recently we were in Philadelphia and we we're one of the things we were doing is designing, um, sabbatical guidance and best practices for our network of churches. And yeah, as you know, a few years ago, the church sent me on a 10 week sabbatical after Mm -hmm. 20 years of, um, working here, serving here. And so I learned a lot about, you know, that practice and everything. And our sense is that, you know, the last few years have been really hard for everybody, but have been really hard for pastors too. And that there's going to be some guys who really desperately are going to need um, a serious sabbatical in the coming years. So it'd just be good for us to get out in front of it and give some guidance. And, um, you know, a couple thoughts really came to my mind as we were preparing that. You know, one was just... Uh, everybody's going to get a sabbatical. You're, you're going to get it the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> you know, it's either going to be an emergency room know, visit right. or you're going to plan on it and you're going to, yeah. you're going to take control and you're going to mm-hmm. work towards something like that. I had the mm-hmm. Mandalorian's words floating through my mm-hmm. mind. Like I could bring you in warm or I could bring you in cold, <laughs> you know, like one way or the other, this is going to happen. But then the other thought, that uh, kept coming to my mind was just that, you know, unfortunately a lot of pastors have a really unhealthy work-life balance and they don't um, know how to draw boundaries very well. And unfortunately the phone has really kind of destroyed a lot of those boundaries for guys because they're constantly available. Hmm. And one of the things that a thought that came to my mind was, you know, we're going to have a hard time here because there's going to be men out there who do need to lead their wife or their family into a time of sabbatical or rest after many years of trudging along in ministry, but they don't even know how to, they don't even take a day off. They don't even take a real Sabbath rest each week at this point. So my line to our group was Mm. if I can get you to take a weekly day of Sabbath, Mm -hmm. then I could get you to take a regular vacation. Then I could get you to take a sabbatical and probably I could back it up even further and say, if I could get you to spend an hour with God each morning, then I could get you to take a week, a, a day each week, then a vacation, then a sabbatical. Because once you've like tasted the smaller benefits mm-hmm. and you get that discipline in your life, you start realizing, wow, this would be great yeah. in a more extended kind of way. It's restorative. 
you know, the, the, the misnomer that people have about, um, you know, a, a day of rest or uh, that kind of concept is, in, especially in our Western kind of like high productivity kind mm -hmm. of way of thinking, we think that this is like a weakness or laziness yes. or something like that. First of all, it's fine to be weak. We are weak. You know, we're just human beings. Yeah. It's good for us to confess that before God. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not strong. I need your strength. But secondly, to me, uh, a weekly habit of taking a day of rest is one of the most productive things yes. that you could possibly do. Mm -hmm. Some of the most productive people in life are not people who work crazy amounts mm -hmm. of hours. Usually people that work crazy amount of hours, they're spinning their wheels. A lot yeah. of the hours that they're spending are wasted hours. Yeah. But people who are taking that you know, conscious rhythm, they have the space and bandwidth to step back and mm -hmm. say, those things I'm doing are pointless. These things are fruitful, right? This is what I need to focus on. I need to get that off the deck over here, you know, and they, they're, they become more potent yeah, in what they totally. do. So the hours that they are working become more effective yeah. because they're preparing They're they're, mm. this isn't a uh, Sabbath is not recovery. Yeah. I mean, it's part of that, but it's preparation Man. for the most part for what's coming in the week to come or, mm. you know, uh, the year to come or whatever it might be. Yes. So, so, so true. Couldn't say amen to that enough. Let's, uh, let's go to your last point about money, about tithing and giving the Israelites that committed to giving back to the Lord, specifically to the temple. And I wanted to ask you, you know, we've talked a bit about money, just me and you personally. And, um, we've talked about how people view money. There's one way of viewing money where it's not good. It's harmful. There's like that kind of neutral way of looking at money where it's like, it's not good or bad. It's just kind of like a resource we have to use. Mm -hmm. And some people who think it's good to use. And here it seems like, you know, the resources we have, they are a good thing to give back to God. Um, they don't, it doesn't seem like it's harmful here or neutral here. But I'm curious just from you, like, what is the right way to view money and resources? And why was it important for them to give resources back to God mm -hmm. in this moment? Yeah, you're kind of alluding to, I think, like a little bit of an old school Christian perspective about money, you know, and like yeah. that it's just, uh, well, you got to really watch out for it. You know, you just, some somebody with means, like there's got to, they must be doing something wrong. That's, yeah. that's a bad thing. That's not spiritual enough or, or whatever. And um, the idea that it's just neutral, uh, that's the idea that it's really just a tool. Whatever you do with it is either good or bad and the people here were using it as a good tool rather than a bad yeah. tool and I think they looked into their history and they realized man there were times that we used money in the wrong way we spent it on ourselves like the Hosea or excuse me Haggai question from God to the people is now mm -hmm. the time for you to dwell in your paneled houses and for mm -hmm. the temple to lie in ruins so they'd use their money in that instance in a bad way yeah. so paneled houses you know it was like is, is it is now the time for the church to just be completely neglected, the work of the kingdom to be completely neglected, but for you to have your, you know, 4,000 square foot homes and, you yeah. know, 70 inch televisions. And, you know, is that is that the priority at this stage of life? So they'd use their money in a negative way. So it was a tool that they used badly here. It was a tool that they used well. Um, the idea that money is good is probably a different category in the sense that 
uh, money is something that we invented hmm. so that we could build societies. Right. And that's good. Yeah. You know, it's good that I don't have to go plant my corn, but I can just go and buy corn tortillas. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's good that that's the case. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean by money is good. It's something that helps us subdue the earth better right. together right. Mm -hmm. and cultivate the raw material that God gave to us on the six days of creation better. Mm -hmm. So money is good. Uh, so here it's probably more in the tool used for good category mm -hmm. in that they basically said to bottom line it, we will not neglect the house of our God. We're going to fund all the stuff so that the yeah. temple is popping. Hmm. It's so good, man. Can you talk with us as we wrap this up just about how to take kind of next steps into these practices? Because they're so applicable for the Israelites. These are commitments back to God based on their rebellion and coming into contact with God's mercy. But for us today, these are beautiful things for us to live out as well. For those of us who are newer to Sabbath, newer to this idea of using our sexuality for God, um, giving, um, what would you say is me like one way we can take steps deeper into these kind of practices and commitments to God? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on the financial side of things, um, as I said in the teaching, I, you know, I personally think that the new Testament paradigm for Christians is that through the work of the gospel in our lives, we should want to be as generous as is humanly possible. Christ came, he gave everything for us. We want to be as giving as we can possibly be. So I think the tithe is a great goal for someone to yeah. have in their life. Uh, but I also realize that if every Christian on the face of the earth gave not the tithe, but half of the tithe, 5% of their income, there'd probably be more money then we know what to do with yeah. in the kingdom. I mean, we, we'd be able to get a lot done for the kingdom with that. So not that we rely on money. I mean, the spirit right. is the one who gets the work done, but I would just encourage somebody in the financial realm, like maybe set a modest goal, say to yourself, you know, I'd like to get to 10% at some day, but try to commit to 3% and then see what happens. Yeah. See how God takes care of you and how he provides for you and then try to incrementally each year say okay, now I want to do 4% or 5% mm. or 6%. One of the benefits of doing that is that you can't give in that incremental percentile kind of way unless for one, you know what you're making right. and two, you plan everything else out. Yeah. So automatically like I if you, if you don't have like a budget already, like line items already, and you're saying like, okay, now I want to give 3%, I guarantee you, like right off the bat, you're going to save the 3% right away because now you've got a plan for all your spending. Yeah. So you skip a couple meals and you're going to be good to go. You know, a couple dinners out and you're going to be good yeah, to go. that's it. So start with that and then just see how God provides for you and keep stepping up that commitment and shoot for that, you know, around 10% of giving, I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised about what happens in your life. Just take a look at the patterns of different things that God provides for you, different opportunities that open up for you, different career advancement things that happen for you, housing opportunities. Just take a look at all that. These are God's way of, this is God's way of provision in some, 
in some ways. It's not always going to be that there's just a check that's waiting for you. I mean, I like to think of it like, I don't know how many times I should have got a flat tire, but I didn't, you know, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but how many times did I avoid that? Because God's like, well, I got a tither here, you know, and I want to take care of him. I want to provide for him in that way. So we don't know, but we have to trust the Lord with that accounting. Yeah. With the Sabbath thing, my encouragement is, you know, I'm I'm always telling people, give God the first hour of your day. But if you haven't ever done this before, that could be pretty drastic for you. So I'd say give God the first half hour of your day. And then with um, the actual Sabbath itself, um, I mean, I I don't know how you just do like a, I'm going to do a half day Sabbath or I'm going to do a, you know... um, I just think you got to really jump in. So look at your calendar. It might not be that it's Sunday for you. You might have a job on Sunday. You right. might be, That's you might be in the, in uh, the ministry. Hopefully I'm not talking to anybody who's a beginner who's in the ministry. I'm going to know for you and me, like Sunday is not really our, our Sabbath. Like right, it's right. the day of the Lord mm-hmm. and we're about church and church work and God's people on that day. But I Sabbath on Friday. So, um, I, but I would just encourage you to take a look at your week and try to find a day that you're going to say, I'm carving that day out for um, restorative, restful mm. things. It's not a day for chores. It's not yeah. a day for my job. It's a day for rest. And then be intentional about it. You know, um, Try to do things that are genuinely restorative in that time. Like, Yes, could you on the Sabbath watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Like, sure, you could do that. But it probably is more restorative to, like, go on a hike or have a meal with a friend or turn off the technology. Like, do things that are kind of in that vein. And if Sunday is your day, that's great because you can go to church. You can serve a little bit in your church, you know, because usually, like, at least I know in our fellowship, the service opportunities on Sundays are generally pretty manageable in nature. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, I mean, I know some of the people that are serving with you in the worship ministry, it's a pretty significant commitment, but a lot of the commitments, it's like a little attachment to the beginning or the end of the service, or you serve at one of the services with the kids and then you attend a service and that can be a restorative experience because it's not your job. You know, it's not your workplace environment. It's just a, like I'm interacting with people. I'm helping people. That's a great thing to do on your Sabbath. And then what I'd encourage you to do is like for a lot of people, it's like they think of Sunday as like, you know, I go to church in the morning and then the rest of the day, it's like I got chores to do and stuff like that. I'd encourage you like, prep for the week and everything after sundown, but hmm. try to use that afternoon as a way to say like, I want to, I want to eat with other Christians. I want to lounge around with other yeah. Christians. I want to just rest. I want to take a nap, try yeah. to do things like that. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the, by the results of that. And then when it comes to the, um, the first commitment, the relational commitment, like I'm going to, I'm going to do sex God's way, mm-hmm. um, to be frank about it there, you're really going to need help for this. If mm-hmm. you've indulged yourself in the, in a, in a path that's antithetical to God's way and to God's word. And this is where the body of Christ really comes mm-hmm. in, you know? Amen. So I think finding yourself Christian relationships, smaller groups that you can say, look, I've just been kind of been doing what I want for a long time. And I do want to commit to this 
biblical ethic, but like, I've just been looking at what I want to look at. I've been doing what I want to do. I've just been acting out on whatever impulse I have. It's hard for me to imagine just like cold Turkey stopping that. I need your help with this mature seasoned Christians will help create a path for you to follow, but don't think that you're just going to like cold Turkey, pull this off by yourself. Um, sexual expression has a strong pull on us. So it's something that we got to lean into the community uh, to help us with for sure. Thanks for listening to the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. For more information and to take the discussion further, you can visit nateholdridge.com for additional articles and content. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.